0: Sentire media. Hello, you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 157. Venice out of the Middle Ages and Into Uncertainty. <fixing> We left off last time with Venice and the other main powers of the Italian peninsula reaching a balance with the peace of Ladi in 1454, which would sort of last for a few decades, leaving Venice free once again to turn to the sea. Not that they had forgotten about it, but they had a little less to worry about for now. The Ottoman Turks had gotten a rather violent slap in the face from Venice at the start of the century with the Battle of Gallipoli in 1416, but they were by no means going to go home and cry over it forever. In 1452, Sultan Mehmet II, at the start of his over 30-year reign, made things clear to all by building an imposing fortress on the Bosphorus River that would allow tighter control of passing ships. Soon after came one of the many incidents that would eventually lead to the First Venetian-Turkish War. Three Venetian ships tried to pass by the new fortress, which opened fire on them. Two made it out. The third was hit by cannon fire. The crew and captain were all captured. The crew beheaded. And the captain impaled. This and other events, along of course with the fall of Constantinople in 1453, convinced the pragmatic Venetians to seek a treaty with the Ottomans, which they did in 1454. No one was kidding themselves that it would last. Now, presiding over all of this the War of Lombardy we spoke of last time, the clashes with the Turks, high waters, the lagoon freezing, and bouts of plague that killed all of his male sons, save one, was Doge Francesco Foscari. As far as children go, he had ten of them with two wives. His is the longest dogato, the time as Doge, in the history of Venice, and one of the few that did not end with the Doge's death. If you happen to visit Venice, or even study there at the Foscari University, This is the guy it was named after. During his long reign, he actually tried to resign more than once, but was always refused. If you have ever seen the TV series The Medici, he is the sexy tall dodger with the long hair in the first series. His naughty son, who tries to seduce Lucrezia Tornabuoni, wife of Piero de' Medici, is his surviving son Jacopo. The continuing difficulties during Foscari's time as Doge would eventually cause rising resentment in the Republic and growing opposition. One such opposer was a man by the name of Ermolao Dona, member of the Major Consiglio. One night, while heading home from a meeting, he was attacked and stabbed, dying shortly after. The son of the Doge, the surviving Jacopo we mention, was accused of the murder and confessed under torture. He was exiled. Another man would later admit to the killing. While Jacopo Foscari was in exile, he was accused of an even worse crime, treason for contacting Milan and even the Ottomans to assist him. He went back to Venice to face trial, was imprisoned, and died in prison at the start of 1457. Heartbroken, Daje Foscari would later that year face a request to resign, which he refused, despite having asked many times more in the past to have the right to resign. In the end, he was forced out and apparently collapsed when he heard the bells announcing the election of his successor and died two days later. Despite some troubles under the latter part of Foscari's reign, his successor, Pasquale Malpiero took over a pretty decent situation. The government was stable. Trade had picked up again. Venice held a large part of northeastern Italy, to the confines of Milan in the west and the Alps in the north. And the capital of all of this, Venice herself, was one of the most splendid and bustling cities in Europe. Even things in the east weren't looking too bad. Despite the fall of Constantinople four years before, Venice had a deal with the Turks. Their merchants were subjected to a reasonable tax of 2%, and their agents were allowed to live and work in Ottoman territory. By Pasquale Malpiro's death in 1462, things looked quite different. The Turks had arrived all the way to Serbia, except for Belgrade, Bosnia, Athens, and other areas of Greece. The year after that, Under the new Doge, Cristoforo Moro, the first full-scale war between Venice and the Ottoman Turks kicked off. Aside from the continuous incidents and minor engagement, it was the first of a series of on-and-off wars, the last of which would end in 1718. As we mentioned before, neither the Ottomans nor the Venetians made any secret that they felt the war was inevitable. Venice spoke quite openly of putting an end to their treaty with the Turks if a league of Christian powers were to be formed and tried to encourage the Pope at the time, Pius II, in his intention to announce a crusade, which he did, the one that didn't gain a lot of enthusiasm and fizzled out when Pius II died, leaving mostly the Venetians to fend for themselves. But by that time, they were already at war. The casus belli, had been identified in an escaped slave. The slave, who belonged to a Muslim owner, ran away with a substantial amount of money and sought refuge in the house of a Venetian, Giacomo Vallaresso, who would be executed for betraying Venice later for a totally different matter, which is a bit ironic. The war would last for 16 years and would see the Venetians bring the Hungarians on board. There were many lost opportunities, and minor victories, but mostly it saw Venice lose many of their eastern Mediterranean colonies with the consolation of gaining Cyprus. Perhaps the most frustrating and tragic event of the war was the conquest by the Ottomans of Negroponte. The Venetians heard that the Sultan Mehmet II intended to attack Negroponte and quickly raised enough taxes to assemble a new fleet in a matter of weeks thanks to the unparalleled productive capacity of Venice's Arsenale. The fleet was sent to Negroponte already under siege. The Turks had managed to create a boat bridge to help with the siege. The Venetian fleet prepared to ram the boat bridge and lift the siege. They maneuvered into position and started to gather up speed to ram the boat bridge, faster and faster, reaching a speed that could crush the gathered Turkish boats. Then, at the last minute, the Venetian commander ordered the fleet to halt. The city was abandoned to its destiny. By evening, few inside were left alive. The Venetian governor, Paolo Erizzo, asked to keep his head. Mehmet II, true to his word, complied by cutting him in half at the chest. The Venetian commander, who had halted the advance, was tried and executed. Doge Mauro died in 1471, feeling the failure of the loss of Negroponte. Among those who had died there was the son of the next Doge, Niccolò Tron. As far as we know, he didn't ride around on an energy grid on a light cycle. By this time, Venice was almost bankrupt, but they did manage to gather enough funds for a campaign that this time was supported by Pope Sixtus IV, and the Kingdom of Naples, to harass Turkish positions, managing to destroy the Turkish naval construction facilities in Gallipoli. Things dragged on until 1479, when Venice signed what was mostly a humiliating peace. There was great criticism from other Western powers for having given up, but it must be said that Venice had mostly been left alone to face the Ottoman threat. As if to kick a man or a republic when it was down, the same year brought a bout of plague that killed many, including the wife of the Dodger. Things would come really close to home for the Christian powers the following year, in 1480, when the Turks took the southern Italian city of Otranto. We saw how the Italian forces had banded together to sort of help Naples get Otranto back without much enthusiasm. The following year, 1481, saw the death of Sultan Mehmed II, and the new Sultan, Bayezid II, was a little less interested in westward expansion, leaving Venice some time to get things back together. Now you'd think it would be a good idea to use this time to get trade going again, recreate a strong navy, get some of those DIY home improvement projects done, maybe start a vegetable garden or something. That would be a good idea. Venice decided they wanted to invade Ferrara. We've been around a couple of times now and spoken about the War of Ferrara. For Venice, it was mostly a question of maintaining their salt monopoly and expanding territory that included access to internal waterways. Milan, Naples and Florence all sided with the Este of Ferrara, and all Venice had on their side was Pope Sixtus IV, egged on by his nephew Girolamo Riario of Pazzi Conspiracy Memory, who saw the fall of Ferrara as a way to expand his holdings in the Romagna area. Then, at a certain point during the war, the Pope decided to change sides and ask Venice to cease hostilities. When Venice refused the Pope decided to use the nuclear option in his arsenal, an interdict on Venice, meaning that no religious functions could be performed in the city or in the territory. Now the thing about an interdict is that it needs to be delivered. The Venetian representative in Rome refused to send the letter to his government, so the Pope sent it directly to the Patriarch of Venice. He told the courier that he was indisposed but he informed the Consiglio dei Dieci, the Council of the Ten, and you may remember that was actually of the Seventeen. The decision everyone reached was to just pretend nothing had happened and go on as usual. Letter? What letter? We didn't get any letter. It must have gone into our spam folder or something. They managed to keep this up, throwing in a request for a new council to possibly depose the Pope until the Peace of Bagnolo, in 1484, put an end to the War of Ferrara. Venice did not actually get Ferrara, but they did get some lands around it, such as the city of Rovigo, so they chalked it up as a win. They also managed to start, or rather continue, a rather dangerous trend of calling in foreign powers, when they did so with King Charles VIII encouraging him to make good on his claims to the Duchy of Milan and the Kingdom of Naples, since the Venetians were so annoyed with them for siding with Ferrara in the recent war. Charles VIII didn't answer the call, but the idea was there. They were playing with fire, and although it would actually be Ludovico il Moro, Duke of Milan, to light the spark, Venice would end up getting burned as well. For the moment... They were happy to enjoy their splendour, and unlike the more modest Florentines, the Venetians were proud to display their incredible wealth. Clothes, jewellery, lavish parties, there was no holding back. The Venetians were even quite proud of the splendour of their high society courtesans, who, as well as their bodies, were required to offer cultural company with knowledge of poetry and music. In a city of around 200,000 inhabitants, perhaps the third city in Europe after Paris and Naples, these escorts were estimated at around 12,000. So we have brought Venice to the end of the Middle Ages, to Columbus's voyage and the death of Lorenzo the Magnificent of Florence, whose importance as a balancing element in the Italian peninsula would soon be clear when that balance started to crumble just two
1: years later. We're almost there. Thank you very
0: much for listening, and stay tuned for the sketch after the credits and outro music. In particular, I would like to thank my wonderful Patreon supporters. Starting with the first half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Allison, Amanda, Anthony, Brian, Celine, Cindy, David, Dean, Demetrio, Dominique, Emily, Eric, Federica, Francisco, Gabriel, George, Greg, Gunnar, Ignazio, Il Valentino, Jacob, Jeff M, and Jeff S, and Jeffrey W. And of course, we can't forget the tippy-top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri level, Paolo, Lisa K., Andrew, Peter, David, Renat, David C., J.W. Sen, David A., Karen D., Peter, and newcomer Helenka. Welcome, Helenka, and also welcome to Marianne for the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level. If you'd like to get in touch, of course, as always, you can do so. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com Or you can get in touch via social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. Why not? Let's throw that in there as well. Once again, thank you very, very much for listening. And until next time, arrivederci.
2: Right, Mr. Ambassador. Here you are. Your silly republic won't lay down their weapons, so take this. Boom! Interdict, baby. You got burned. Take what? This letter, of course. The one I'm handing you. I don't see any letter. This one. Here, I'm handing it to you.
3: No, sorry. Don't see any letters. Are you feeling okay, Your Holiness? Perhaps you need
2: a map. How dare you slap an official letter out of the hand of the Pope? I didn't. Yes, you did. You, you naughty ambassador. Nope, didn't. Well, no matter. I shall send it to the Patriarch. And anyway, you have been officially
3: informed. Informed of what? The interdict, of course. The minty split. Interdict. I'm sorry, Your Holiness, but I can't understand if you mumble. Could you write it down, perhaps? Ah! There's no need to get hysterical now, is there? Interdict! Interdict! Venice is under interdict! Well, I'm sorry, you're breaking up here. Can't get anything. What on
2: earth are you doing now?
3: Talk to you later, maybe when the communication is better. Bye! Ah. We'll see about this.
2: Messenger! Yes, Your Holiness. Take this to the Patriarch of Venice immediately. Right away. Two days later. Yes? Are you the Patriarch of Venice?
3: Why do you ask?
2: I have a messenger from the Pope. An interdict on Venice. I'm not him. Are you sure? You look like him.
3: Nope, sorry. The patriarch is indisposed.
2: Oh, is he? Well, could you take this letter for him?
3: Nope, sorry. Uh, why not? I am also indisposed.
2: What's wrong with you?
3: Uh, plague.
2: Uh, you don't look like you have the plague.
3: Well, I'm getting better.
2: Well, I, I've got all the way from Rome. Uh, can't you just take it?
3: Nope, sorry. Far too indisposed. Bye.
2: Well, I'll, I'll just uh, put the letter under the door.
3: Oh, no! What? The letter just burst into flames. What a pity. I was just about to read it. I suppose I'll never know what it said now. It was an interdict.
2: Venice is under interdict. Winter spit. Interdict. I-N-T-E-R-D-I-C-T.
3: Sorry, I don't know how to spell. I am far too indisposed. Come back later. Sentire Media
1: Hey podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy.